Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week, episode 36. This week, we got New Zealand's uh, Katie Wright on the call. Now, you might remember her name from her fourth place finish in the 2019 Biggs Backyard down in, in, in Bell Buckle, Tennessee. Katie ended up running for 50 hours. That's over 200 miles around a 6.7 kilometer loop over and over and over again. And I had the privilege of meeting her there and, ra and racing against her. And I'll tell you one thing, that she's one tough cookie. Now, we've gone through this big pandemic in the world and racing is kind of shut down. But there are countries that are doing things better than other countries. And in Canada and other countries in the world, we're not racing. But New Zealand ended up just having their incredible Tarawera 100-mile race this past weekend. And Katie Wright ended up winning it in a time of 20 hours and 19 minutes. So to talk about all things pandemic related, racing related, and really you're trying to figure out who is this Katie Wright and only running ultra marathons now for three years. How is it that she came from starting ultra marathoning to winning the Tarawera ultra marathon? I can't uh, wait to, to, to ask her about um, all things racing and life. Uh, welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, Katie. Thanks Dave, great to be here. Yeah, Katie, well, congratulations. Always fun to uh, be on the other side of a win. Hope you're feeling good and recovering well. Uh, you know, I think one of the things we always love to start with is, you know, when you find someone who wins, you always figure there's got to be something in their history that sort of sets this moment up. And, you know, so were you a runner when you were in high school or in college? You know, did you find this later on in life? Give us a little bit of a view as to, you know, how Katie got to this place where she could actually uh, go and win a hundred mile race. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm definitely not one of these people that, you know, have been winning championships since the age of 10. Um, I've always been really competitive, but I wouldn't say that I've never, I've ever really shone at a particular sport. So I was probably one of those kids growing up. I'd do tennis on a Monday night and trampolining on a Tuesday night and, you know, going and um, doing netball on a Wednesday night. There was always something on, but there wasn't one particular sport that I suppose I was really drawn to or particularly gifted at. Um, and then I really did my, I started running when I was 18 and was doing a bit of a fundraiser for um, a gap year that I went and did. And I did my first ever half marathon. I didn't get into the London marathon. That was the original plan. Um, fortunately, I didn't get a place because I uh, did barely any training. I think I ran five miles at most and did my first very flat half marathon in about two hours and 25 minutes, something like that. Wow. Um, and walked a lot of it and there were some tears and finished thinking I will never do this ever again. Um, and had a bit of a hiatus after that, I suppose. Mm. Um, and really then got into, got into road running and athletics when I was at university the first time around. Again, wasn't particularly gifted, was always a couple of laps behind everybody else when we were doing, um, you know, 400 metre sessions on the track and stuff. Um, 
but just plodded away, um, kept on going, got into triathlon for a bit, um, did, ended up doing an Ironman after that. Um, this was probably about oh, seven or eight years ago now. Um, and then finally, one day I just, um, I think I wanted like a goal. I wanted to go and do something and achieve something and had a lot of time. And I'd had this idea when I was a lot younger of going and running the Welsh coastal path. Um, Wales is quite an important place for me. I spent a lot of summers there growing up and um, they'd just finished the track and announced it and that there's a track the entire way around the coastal path. Um, I just thought, wouldn't it be neat if I could go and do that entire track? Um, So I kind of, I made the plans to go and do it and um, put no training in at all and ended up just deciding kind of the week before um, I had this period of time off that I was actually going to go and do it so picked up a backpack and um, went and ran it Um, and that was really my introduction to trail running and ultra running. And so KB like you know I mean to go and do something like that from from nothing like I I look back at my life and there were definitely influences uh, that people brought up to me these stories of of running 100 kilometers on a certain trail and I thought that's impossible like you know but yet you're intrigued right were there any influencers in your life that that end up you know shining a light on on what was you know what they were doing or what you might even see as being something that's possible yeah I think uh, I've been really lucky growing up and where I've been living in that I've had a lot of people around me in my life that have achieved in sports um one of my housemates when I was at uni had been um a really competitive um uh, athlete doing um shot put when she was growing up and then was very high level at rowing I went to uni with a, a rower that had been in the Olympics um I trained in a triathlon club that had, you know, women that were going and winning Kona and becoming professional. So there was a lot of people around me that kind of gave me that push of, you know, I think having people actually in your life that are achieving makes you think, actually, this is something that is possible for somebody like me rather than, you know, it's great to see people on television going and achieving, but that I think is a little bit too far off to make you think that actually, why can't I do this as well? Yeah, I like that. And, you know, if you come back to your 225 half marathon, that would probably be almost anyone off the couch could probably get pretty close to that, right? And that not being critical, meaning like, you know, that's where we start. If we don't have a lot of training or we're not, you know, some, you know, descendant of an Olympic athlete ourselves. But, but what's great about it, though, is it just shows that, that where you start doesn't mean where you have to end up. You know, that doesn't have to be the end. You might not even enjoy the first one. But if you get that little bit of curiosity, which you did by hanging out with others, then, you know, you start to want to do a little more. What was the sort of the feedback loop that you were using to sort of keep going? I think just enjoyment for being out. Um, I, you know, I don't think I ever really felt that I needed to compete with other people. I never imagined that I would get to a stage where I could go to a race and actually stand at the front of the pack and race a race um it was just the pure enjoyment of being out in nature spending time outdoors and then I I mean I I then have this other side of me that is hugely competitive and when I saw that being out in nature 
meant that I was actually improving and getting better than the competitive drive of oh well you know if today I can get my time down to sub two hours for a half marathon what about next time what time do I need to do to be able to get a place at London Marathon like there's always those little incremental goals so it was never what time do I need to do to win a half marathon or it it was always you know that let's push this further if I can go a sub two hour can I go a sub like 155 can I you know, can I go and do a 400 meter session on the track and hit splits of under 100 seconds? Like, yeah, um, just pushing it on each year and uh, seeing what I could do. Yeah, well, let's, you know, Katie, let's touch on that for a second a little bit more, because, you know, the sport of ultramarathoning is is unique as hell because it's it's you, know, you, you look at other sports, you look at other uh, athletes that are that are succeeding within their sport. Um, and it takes all these, these different um, abilities, but yet, you know, ultra marathoning is, is different. Like even you and I were at Big's backyard and you look around and you're like, you know, there's no LeBron James. There's no, you know, there's no specific character there that's, that, that, that's doing exceptionally well, but yet there's something about ultra marathoners that they just, they're stubborn as hell and they don't quit you know? And so is that something that you noticed within yourself early? I mean, it's nice to be, you know, out there and enjoying the process, because I think that in order for anybody to do, you know, exceptionally well as you're doing and in a sport, you have to really enjoy it. But yet, did you start noticing with your running and your, you know, you, you going out for longer training days and races that, okay, there was, there was a certain point of time where you stood apart from the rest, that you, Everybody else seemed to crumble while Katie Wright was doing well or better. Yeah, and it's, that's something that I find really hard to explain. And I think it, it's the thing that really draws me to ultra is that I actually find that I get I get the second wind or mm-hmm. I just don't necessarily seem to slow down. So I might not start as fast as everybody else. But there is something in me. And I, I do wonder whether more of that is just a mental side of things of, you know, you started this quick, what you should be able to carry on um, and just pushing through. Um, mm-hmm. I think there is a huge part of mentality, mentality and psychology that goes into ultra running and that kind of push to um, make your body do what it perhaps shouldn't be doing. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree, Katie. Like, I, I, I think I wonder about that myself, too, is, OK, there, I know that there's a mental component of, of giving up. And that's what bigs. That's maybe why you're attracted to backyard as much as I am. It's because there's a mental component to to all of that. And it's, it's fascinating, I find. But there's also a durability piece, you know, where, you know, you, you get these exceptional runners that run very fast or very effectively and efficiently, and then they crumble. And then I saw you out there on the bigs course and you just didn't seem to crumble um, like everybody else. Did you find, you know, in your past and other sports and other activities that you're, you're durable? Would you say that you're a durable, durable person? Yeah, I think so. Um, And whether that's actually, you know, the flesh and bones or whether it's just the the brain um, that pushes me on. And I can't quite make that distinction. I don't think, um, I certainly found that the fallout from Biggs in 2019 was absolutely huge. I definitely feel like I pushed my body more than it should have been pushed. Um, And particularly looking at kind of uh, how you guys all recovered afterwards. 
I think, you know, you went for a run the next day, didn't you, Dave? Um, <laughs> well, I had another I, lap in me. I just needed to get a, an eight hour sleep. So, but just one more um, lap. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, it took me months, um, absolutely months. So I, I pushed my body way further than it had ever been. And I think that's just that it gives me that reminder that actually you do need both. Um, I, my body, I don't think was ready to run 200 miles. My mind definitely was um it was that year was the first year I'd ever run 100 miles and I'd done it three or four times before Big's Backyard and then I pushed it to go 200 in one go and I think um it whilst it was uh, fantastic and I have absolutely no regrets the um the fallout physically from that was absolutely huge um and I think if I went and did that again now with these two more years of training or yeah two years year and a half whatever um I, my body certainly is more prepared and more used to going that distance now. Uh, so you do need both, um, definitely. Um, I think it, it sort of connects to the whole idea as to why in ultra running, you know, maybe as we get older, we're almost a little better at it because we've conditioned our body for that kind of, you know, consistent pounding or just very long periods of time in that state. There's a really interesting article in Outside Magazine about the difference between what makes you stop the effort or the pain, you know, mm -hmm. and it's hard to sort of know exactly, but there was a, you know, commentary about, you know, that the effort is this probably more a bit of the mental and the pain is more of the physical that you're feeling through and the effort is this will to continue to move the system, right? And, and then the pain is like, oh my gosh, my legs are starting to hurt, which is a different system, right? It's the whether it's lactate or something else that's creating this signaling system. And so the idea, I guess, that you pulled off in Biggs was to turn as much of that off. And it was still, the damage was happening, right? You know, but yeah. you were sort of in finding a way around it. Uh, and yeah, I think, I wonder, so do you think as you did, maybe we could talk about Tarawera for a little bit, um, you know, how maybe that year and a half later, how that affected your race. So tell us about the race. It's a hundred mile race, um, the course, tell us about the course, tell us a little bit of the setup and then we'll get into it. It'll be fun here. Yeah, for sure. So um, <clears throat> Tarara is um, an absolutely beautiful course. It's up on the North Island in New Zealand um, and it starts in Rotorua, um, which is, uh, one of the big centres of Maori culture and um, mm. a really beautiful place to be and to learn about New Zealand and the, um, you know, the, the, the culture of New Zealand. Um, and that's really incorporated into the race, um, which I find is, is absolutely beautiful, particularly having come to New Zealand as, as a foreigner. I feel like I've learnt a lot about New Zealand from the race itself. Um, it's a really varied course. Uh, it starts off with some really beautiful single track around uh, Lake Tarawera. Um, you then take a boat trip that takes you over to the other side of the lake and around the mountain. Um, and that section of the course is actually, there's a reasonable section of road um, and quite a lot of forestry track, which is all very fast easy running mm. uh, there's a couple of climbs but not too many and it's a section of the course that I find particularly difficult I'm not a fast 
roadrunner at all I like if it's technical downhill something because I can really get my teeth into I love it um and I knew that um I I, I to be honest I, I had no idea whether or not I was going to be able to keep up with um Fiona Hayweiss and Dawn Taffrey who are two phenomenal female um ultra runners in New Zealand um that I knew were racing um and I knew that if I could keep up with them until that stage, then a race was kind of on the cards. And if not, then hopefully I would have a good day on my own. Um, so we got to that stage and Fiona Hayweiss had, uh, had uh, sailed off into the distance and I was expecting her to be kind of about half an hour in front of me by the time we got to outlet, which is at about a hundred kilometers into the course. Okay. Um, from there on in, it's pretty much single tack, uh, track and technical, my kind of running. Um, and I knew that I, I may have a slight edge on Fiona at, at that stage. So I found out I was, well, my, my crew said I was about 10 minutes behind her. I think I was actually 15, but um, it was quite nice to be lied to. So it gave me a bit of a push. Um, so I just, I just pushed, um, I knew I run that section of course quite a few times and it's just beautiful single track, kind of quite rooty. It's not dissimilar actually to, um, to the day course at Biggs. Um, there's a, a couple of nice twists and turns, but it's all very runnable. Um, and so I just got my teeth stuck in, put some music on way too loud and, um, and really kind of went health up, health leather and, um, managed to just catch her up by the next aid station she was leaving the next aid station just as I arrived um so I knew that uh, the race was on and that was probably uh, about 120 kilometers into the race and so for uh 100 milers how many kilometers 161 yeah yeah oh, yeah roughly or roughly yeah yeah, yeah. so you got hmm. another 40 kilometers or so know. basically the race was on for 40 kilometers yeah, pretty much. So pretty much an entire marathon for the end. So, 26 so tell, miles. Me, tell, tell me about that aid station. Like I've, I've had a number of those aid stations before where, you know, you got 40, 60 kilometers left and you're there with that other person. You, you make eye contact, you know, you, you nod your head, you, you know, tell me, tell me about that moment. Did, did, did she know that this was on and you knew this was on and did you try to get out of there first? Did you, even you know did you did you smile did you wink like how, how, what does that look like um so Fiona and I know each other really well um she's a really good friend and it was it was difficult eh? um I think right racing against friends is always hard and I mm -hmm. I guess that happens a lot with ultras um given that it's such a small community um so no there weren't many words at all she was she was pretty much about to go um so I think she saw me and kind of hurried up and um mm -hmm. just headed on out of there we kind of exchanged a kind of nod and a smile but it was very much you know down to business and um there was no way she was waiting around for me um yeah <laughs> no, no. She, could you tell that she was scared I, I think I was just so absolutely focused on the fact that I, I wasn't expecting to see her there. Yeah. So the fact that I saw her there was like, okay, right. This is like, this is real. Uh, this is happening. Um, and I was just, yeah, a hundred percent focused and um, ready to, ready to go for it. And the, the other kind of addition of that aid station is it's where you can pick up a pacer. So um, for Tadawera, you're allowed a pacer for that last 40 kilometres. So we both picked up friends um, to kind of push us on through. And that was uh, a huge lift. Um, so. 
So it's the nighttime part of the run. It was um, before evening. I think we had about another hour, hour and a half of light um, from them. And then, yeah, so now you guys leave together. Are you close to each other for a bit? How does so Fiona happen? left probably about two minutes before me. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> roughly, I can't remember how, much, how long exactly I spent at that aid station. Um, and I didn't see her again for another seven or eight kilometers. Mm. Um, there's a big climb out of that aid station. Um, and I just kind of ground that on slowly, um, got to the top of the climb. And then there's a section that's very open, gently undulating, very runnable, not my territory at all. And we, we, got within sight of Fiona and at this point we all had our head torches on and I saw Fiona's pacer look around and see catch on to me and my pacer Ellie and it was a little confusing at that stage because we had the 100 kilometer runners as well mm-hmm. um so we were pretty like I, I could see that that was definitely Fiona ahead um and they turned around and there was kind of a second of is that a 100 kilometer runner and they realized it was uh no it was um it was um Ellie and I so they put a huge spurt on and I knew at that stage it wasn't my territory I wasn't going to catch catch Fiona on that kind of nice runnable ground so we kind of sat back and and let her go for um for a little while um until the next aid station and after that section there's a beautiful downhill followed by a really technical trail and single track again loads of routes um much more my thing so I just waited until that aid station and knew that I could then put on a gear going down the hill and through the trees um, and that was eventually where we caught her. Um, so so um, tell me Katie about that aid station so you're you're coming into that aid station uh, who spent less time or who spent more time at that aid station because I always tell I can always tell like when when you know that there's somebody right behind you you're in and out like you you yeah. transition real quick um were you were you in and out real quick or or was she in and out quicker um I so Fiona got there a fair bit before me so I'm not entirely sure how long she was there for I she left as soon as I arrived um so as soon as she saw me she was like right we're not hanging around any longer um and I yeah filled up bottles and went so I was probably only there for under under a minute I'd say great Um, so then so then you pass her uh, with what 20k to go yeah roughly yeah 20k to go so for uh, the rest of us 12 miles or so uh and now you're in front and now you're being hunted and yeah. you know as we were talking before a little bit you know we love this idea you know we actually interviewed um don reichelt who's a pretty strong ultra runner in the u.s and he came in third in uh, tunnel hill this year with a so a 13, 16, like he was cranking, but sort of with like 10 miles to go, he passed someone to go into third. And he said, he never turned around again. He ran scared and he ended up putting like 15 minutes on his nearest competitor because he ran scared, you know, like, oh my God, they're right there. But if I turn around and if they're right there, that, you know, that whole sort of psychology. So, so you have her behind you. There's two parts of it. Tell us how you felt. And then Secondly, do you find it easier to be chased or to chase someone? Yeah, good questions. Um, I think it was an interesting 
crossover. Um, Fiona actually had to stop for a couple of seconds to um, sort out some chafing. So I think that really helped with the overtaking section. We didn't have to have that kind of mm. crossover of Fiona starting to get a bit faster, me starting to get a bit faster and, and deal with that, um, those couple of seconds of actually over, overtaking. So um, that made things a little bit easier, I think. Um, and it, I mean, as soon as we we overtook, it was, right, I need to get some distance between us. Um, I would be really interested to see what I do in a situation where if Fiona had then come back and re-overtaken me, um, I think mentally I would have found that very difficult. I'm not sure how I would have handled it. Um, I certainly think it's easier chasing somebody rather than um, waiting to be um, overtaken again. Um, I think the, the idea of running scared, it, cer it certainly gave me a huge push, but it's um, that unknown of where they are and how far they are is very difficult to handle um it gives I mean it, it gives you a huge adrenaline boost definitely but um I found it was it was very difficult to settle into and you can't relax when and you know it was still a good couple of hours of racing to go with um racing scared um I can say I've never um sprinted downstairs quite that quickly towards the end of a race um we were again we had a lot of 100 kilometer runners um coming down there's a section of very difficult really poorly spaced or like unevenly spaced stairs some of which are a good jump between each one um, so there's a lot of 100k runners like walking or hobbling down these stairs and I had um, Ellie my pacer in front of me just going uh, I mean it probably wasn't that quick but it certainly felt very quick like kind of getting people out of the way and yelling and screaming so that we um we had a bit of a path to come through um um and yeah that was uh definitely um pushed on by the fact that I knew Fiona was going to be right behind me and um I knew she wasn't going to be letting up so um and I was right she gained about in the last seven kilometers um it's flat road running again and she gained four and a half minutes over seven kilometers on me wow really so, <laughs> about the pacer for a second because this is an interesting dynamic right we we all know you know you're allowed a pacer in the ultra running which is as much for safety as it is for anything else forever to sort of defend the purpose behind it but now you're, when you're in a race like that your pacer has got to both be up for the game, right? I mean, even, you know, because they can't, you know, crush you, go too hard, or they got to be able to keep up with the pace that you need them to keep up with. How was the dynamic between the two of you? Yeah, it was great. Um, so Ellie's a really good friend. We've done a lot of big mountain missions together this year. We actually only met um, oh, about seven months ago, but we've been out uh, pretty much every other weekend doing some big missions together so we know each other's style really well we know each other's tone of voice really well we know when each other's are hurting and um yeah it was it was great she was fantastic um we haven't we haven't had kind of a pacing dynamic before uh, so that was an interesting one um it took a it took a little while it took a couple of kilometers to kind of settle in so me being like oh no you're going too fast Ellie slow down or like come on and we but we kind of we found our rhythm within within a couple of kilometers of um me kind of giving her a grunt if we needed to go faster or um 
um yeah away with um we were pushing things a bit too much but it was um yeah it was pretty special to go to share that with somebody that's such a close friend um, absolutely yeah and yeah, and it, you know the back and forth with um, you know, with with these races, it's it's really interesting. And you know, I'm just going to share a, a quick story with you, and then ask you a question about kind of the end and your mindset. Because I think when you're scared or when you're hungry, you know, your your brain shrinks, and you end up using different limbic systems of your brain that that doesn't really make a lot of sense. I was at a race up here in, in Canada about three or four years ago, and I end up passing the the guy who was in first place. I don't know, maybe a hundred kilometers into the race. And I ended up giving him half of my burger because I thought, you know, this guy looks terrible. I'm not going to see this guy ever again, but I ended up seeing him and he and I, for the last maybe 60 kilometers, uh, 40 miles, we end up going, you know, he was right behind me the whole time. And every time I picked up the pace, wow. he picked up the pace. And so somehow right around, you know, 15 kilometers or 10 miles left, in the race, I, I, I found out that he was gaining on me a lot. And so I just lost it and I started sprinting. Um, and I came into the final aid station and I looked back and I saw this headlamp screaming down the hill behind me. And I thought, oh my God, this is like, look at the pace that he's running. Well, it turns out that was my pacer that I ended up dropping and he was sprinting to come after me because, you know, and then you're thinking, oh God, you know, this is... <laughs> But of course, that's where your brain is. You don't make sense. You're like, of course, where did my pacer go? Well, that's him. And he's sprinting as fast as he can to catch back up with me, which he, he never did. And I remember the final hill of that climb. Um, I was going hard and hard and hard. And, and finally, I got, got to the bottom of the hill and I kept thinking, I know he's right behind me. And I can't give him any strength to look back with my headlamp and see, see that he can see me. So I turned off my headlamp. So I ghosted him. So that he couldn't see me climbing and you know and none of this made any sense at all none, none of this made any sense at all and he ended up still being 15 or 20 minutes behind me in the end so I ended up winning the race but you know there were all these things that you did that didn't make any logical sense because you, you use a very tiny little part of your brain because you're tired and you're terrified um, did you end up doing anything odd strange different were you able to dig deeper than you ever thought that you could end up digging because you were terrified or, or where, where were you the final road section? Cause you also knew that she was a, a stronger road runner than you. This was her strength and this was your weakness. Well, where, where were you at? Yeah, completely. Um, and I a hundred percent dug deeper than I would have done if, if Fiona wasn't behind me, there's no way I would have pushed as hard without having that kind of that, um, urge to um to keep on going and keep that distance between us um I definitely I, I really pushed on the sections that I knew I could push uh, so the downhill sections and the rooty sections um and I knew that was where I was going to keep my time and, and and get a gap um and I think I was just I was just in one of those spaces that was hugely focused there wasn't you know it kind of definitely up another level or another gear than I've ever been um there was there were a lot of times I think going uphill and my, um, Ellie says that I, I kind of switched between singing along to my music or swearing um and she could tell when I was in a bad place because I'd just mm -hmm. be like just be um yeah walking along swearing and um uh, at myself to kind of like keep going um so there were yeah there were certainly times where I was like there I had to fight with myself mentally to 
tell myself that you know how much do you want this do you want this to enough to kind of push through and and keep going on these climbs um and I guess the answer was always yes um yeah and I, I knew that I knew that Fee would be running faster for the final seven kilometers and I so I and actually when we passed the last aid set um station onto that section um Ellie told me that I only had two minutes up on her so that certainly gave me a huge kick to Mm-hmm. um to run um and gosh I, I can't do minutes per mile anymore but uh I think we were running six minute kilometers which I um at the start my aim had been to run six minute 30 kilometers um and absolutely no faster than that so I was running 30 seconds a kilometer faster than um my start goal so mm-hmm. I was definitely um for me that was uh, certainly pacing it um yeah and when did you get that sense that you were going to win did it have to be the finish line or were you a couple miles away or no it was around the last around the last corner I looked back and I couldn't see any head torches and what I didn't realize was that she was actually only 400 meters behind me and I have no idea why I couldn't see her head torch um because yeah there's um a couple of screenshots because we were carrying gps trackers um and she was 400 meters behind turning around the last corner you couldn't quite see the finish line but you could hear it and I, I almost stopped in my tracks um and just I had this moment of um I think Ellie was about um five meters in front of me and I kind of just stopped and I was like I can't believe this is happening and she turned around and she was like Katie it's happening run um because yeah. <laughs> I think she knew that uh Fiona was that close to me and I think was worried that I was going to have um a bit of a moment and not carry on um so yeah it was about 200 meters from the finish line and and so what, how much did you win by ultimately uh around 90 seconds oh so for everyone you know 90 seconds over uh, 21 hours or 20 hours yeah. it's like uh you know a couple hundredths of a second in a short race really at the end of the day that's because there's so many dimensions of how that could have played out, right? You mm-hmm. yeah. had to truly hold on. This wasn't, you know, like floating in and dancing over no. the finish line. And no. so, Katie, so, I mean, like, tell me, tell me more about that. So, you no, know, okay, 90 seconds isn't even enough time for you to wipe the sweat off your, 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 your forehead or to, to catch your breath. Yeah. You turned around and, and your friend and your, you know, your, um, your racing companion, um, your competition came, came in. You know, what do you guys do? Did you guys, you know, hug it out? Did you cry? Did you, you know, swear at one another? <laughs> what, what, what happened? <laughs> there was, uh, there were a lot of tears and a lot of hugging. Um, and um, so I know, you know, Fee's pacer and and, and um, crew and stuff really well as well. So there was a lot of hugs all around. I was in pieces. I was on the floor in tears. Um, and Fiona was very composed and, um managed to put together some very nice words um because there were um despite the fact it was just after midnight there were um, a couple of people out watching so um yeah it was uh it's all a bit of a blur now to be honest but um it was an incredible um 10 minutes of my life um and Fee was just very gracious and yeah um a huge inspiration to me as a runner and as you know as a as a person um yeah, that's that sounds fun. I mean, for those of you listening on the podcast, just audio, you can't see this beautiful background um, behind Katie. But you know, we have like a, you know, in, in that setting, what an amazing you know time to go and win and 
with that race and everything. Now you have these two interesting experiences. You go and push yourself to the limit at Big's backyard. And now, you know, you come away, you know, winner of a uh, hundred mile race, which is never easy. Uh, and you're still just new to the sport, right? So you're, uh, yeah, you're only a few years into it. I'm sure you're still learning, you know, um, but, you know, as you think about the race, is there anything you would have done differently? Oh, gosh, for this race, no. I think everything just seemed to fall into place. Um, my transitions were quick. The nutrition went well. I was eating really well. Um, I think I, I pushed on the bits I needed to push and, and hung back on the bits that I needed to hang back on um it just went it, it went as well as it could have on the day and I think that from a training perspective um I went in having trained very much for a race that I did a month beforehand called the Revenant which is based on the Barclay Marathons and a completely different training program and racing than than Tarawera which is a runnable miler so I think I've got a huge amount to do in terms of training, uh, the difficulty being going forward, um, what do you train for? Do I train for a fast mile? Do I train for the Revenant? Do I train for backyard? And I mean, they're all essentially long ultra events, but other than that, they have no similarities. No similarities. Um, what, what's your best sense, Katie? Like, what, what do you, what do you think is going to happen in 2021? Like, are, are we going to be seeing you next in, in Tennessee in, in, in backyard, or are you gonna, are, do you have races that are planned in, in Asia or anywhere else? Like what, what are your thoughts with this, this COVID world that we're living in right now? I think it's, diff it's just so difficult to actually make concrete plans at the moment, isn't it? Um, Tennessee is definitely on the cards. I was looking at flights the other day and they do exist. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so um, yeah, um, if, if Tennessee goes ahead, I will be there. Um, if it doesn't, then, you know, we um, we make other plans. But, uh, yeah, there's a lot of other plans on the cards. Um, I've got a, a couple of races um, that I'm trying to organise at the moment, if we can get funding for. I'd love to go and do a track event um, and give that a go. Uh, so that's on the cards for my summer, your winter. Oh, no, my winter, your summer. Still haven't got my head around this Northern Hemisphere, Southern Hemisphere thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the Revenant is really my goal for next year, um, which is um, yeah a lot of a lot of vert and a lot of um, navigation and a lot of time in the mountains, which is really mm -hmm. my passion. Um, the competition or the competitive side of me sometimes gets in the way of the passion for the mountains and being outdoors. So I just need to toe that line. Um, well, it's interesting. Like you were saying, like a track event, a track 24-hour event or a track six-day event, or what does that look like? I would love to do a track six-day event, but I don't think I'm there physically yet. Um, so it will be the work up towards that. Um, mm -hmm. So I haven't done a 24-hour yet. Um, and 48-hour to me seems as though it will be more my um, more towards my strengths than a 24. I don't think I could do a 24-hour well, um, as much justice. So, but there isn't a 48 hour event in New Zealand. Um, so we need to create one. That's it. That's right. Well, I think what people also don't know about you, Katie, we didn't touch on this is that you're not a full-time ultra runner. 
you have a, a, a job as a, a doctor and uh, you have to fit this together because, <clears throat> you know, as we think about our sport, you know, it doesn't really afford uh, people to just do it full time. You could as a passion project, I suppose, but there's not a big income stream. So how do you balance, you know, because what you're talking about are big, big events. These take lots of hours and how do you, so give us an idea of your training. What do you do in a training week? How do you uh, manage to do both? Um, with difficulty sometimes. Um, I, so I've gone part-time um, with work primarily to, to give me the time to train. And mm. I suppose it's not actually the time to train. I could fit the training in. It's the time to recover, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, I was working 0.8 um, last year and I've I've actually just started my specialty training. So this year is going to be very intense with a lot of exams, a lot of outside work study. Uh, so I've moved down to just to working 0.7. So roughly 24 hours a week in the office, but it's probably going to be another 10 or, 10 or 12 hours of study on top of that. So the nice thing about the study side of things is I can fit it in with training and recovery Mm. um my training very heavily revolves on going out for big missions because it's what I love um it might not necessarily be 100% the best thing for training but it doesn't seem to be doing any harm at the moment so um I just started working with a coach uh, which I thought I would never do um Mm. primarily mainly because uh I think I quite I quite enjoy the science behind training. I love reading up on it and seeing what other people are doing, looking at the research and tallying that with how my body works and how my body responds to training. I really enjoy that. Um, but it was taking too much of my time up. Um, mm-hmm. I was spending all of my spare time on figuring out my training and I think being new to the sport as well, you've got to admit that I don't know everything and there are a lot of people out there with a lot of knowledge. Um, so I've been working with um, Andy Dubois from Mile 27 and he's been great at tallying together my training, my work. I've changed the race that I was doing as my A race. I've changed, I was supposed to be going and doing an FKT in the UK and then got this job. So I've, i send him probably every week I sent him an update of oh no this is this is the new plan and he's been absolutely fantastic at just fitting my life into the training and um clearly it's paying off so it's exciting yeah no that's exciting stuff and yeah it's um yeah I've I've had experiences with coaches before and it's it's alarming you know of what they know that you don't know um Mm -hmm. and 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 working alongside somebody that you can blame for all the problems it's wonderful yeah but no i mean with our with our with our podcast and 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 all the audience that listens we've got a lot of a lot of backyard fans it's alarming how what lazarus lake has 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 started and and you know some would argue that you know backyard racing is kind of the ultimate type of of ultra marathoning that's happening in the world now and this is where things are kind of transitioning and I, i don't know i don't know if that's true or not but Katie, you had incredible results um, in 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 2019 in, in Tennessee on a what a, quite a difficult course, kind of the iconic course. Um, and if all goes well, if you know COVID cases are dropping and travel is is allowed, um, then you know I'll I'll be seeing you there. Um, 
what did you learn from 2019? What did you, what did you, what would you do differently? What would you do the same? What's you, what's a different focus that you'd have going into 2021, Big's Backyard, uh, with, with what you learned in 2019? Gosh, I just learned so much. It's difficult to even summarize. Um, I'm a completely different athlete than I was in um, 2019. Um, I think, um, my favourite quote from 2019 that someone said to me was, oh, you, you look like you're just a lady going out for a jog with her dog around the park. Um, and <laughs> I think, you know, in comparison to um, to all of the athletes that were there, I was certainly the most out of my depth, I think, um, in terms of lack of, um, of experience. Um, and we just learned so much from, from being there, from being around all these athletes that have got years and years and years of experience between them um, in terms of crewing, in terms of kit, in terms of gear, um, in terms of how you handle yourself um, during the difficult times. Um, yeah, it's just, it was huge. Um, I think I learned a lot from the recovery as well and how much recovery I needed and what I didn't do after the race to help that. Um, so that took me back a good few steps of actually being quite scared to go and do another race afterwards because of how difficult the recovery was um, and not wanting to go through that process again. But I've definitely, I've definitely learned from it. And, you know, I now actually take it, um, take a kit for after the race that's pre-prepared with some rebuild and some like, a decent meal um, and some compression clothing and make sure I get some sleep. Um, so that's been that that side of things was something kind of unexpected that I learned, I suppose, from it. Would you keep the same um, pacing strategy around? I don't know what you know, Dave and I others talk always about, you know, do you give yourself as much time as possible or do you try and just spread it out and go easier? Do you have a thought on how that might evolve? Um, for me, I know that I'm never going to be somebody that can run a 32 minutes um, right. backyard. Um, for, you know, that is, that would be like my tempo run. I'm never going to be able to keep that up. Um, even, even with more training, uh, I, I'll probably knock a couple of minutes off what is my comfortable, mm. but I, th I think you really have to play to your own strengths in the backyard. If you were a strong, fast runner, it probably pays to run faster um, because you can run faster, but keep your heart rate down. Yeah. Uh, for me, I can't do that. It wouldn't be sustainable, um, but I know that I can manage on that small amount of rest stopping at aid stations is never really something that I've done. I don't really like stopping. If I'm going out on a big mountain day, I probably, if I was on my own, I wouldn't really stop for lunch or, mm. uh, you know, have, um, have food as I go. I don't particularly like stopping. Um, so it's not uncommon for me to, to just carry on plodding. Um, and I think I get my speed from the fact that I don't stop. Um, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong way to approach the backyard. Um, I think it is very individual and you've got to always play to your own strengths. And that's what makes it so interesting watching other people's approach and what else, what works for other people is so interesting. Like I've, I've listened to uh, Dave, a lot of your um, 
um, stories and approaches to backyard. And it's so funny because I, I can I can absolutely see why it works for you. And for most of the things that it work for you, I'm like, no, nah, no, that wouldn't work for me. No, that wouldn't work for me. And yet we, yeah. you know, we, we both have been successful at it. Um, yeah. So yeah. it's not that either way is wrong. It's just that we are very different runners. Um, no, and that's what's beautiful about backyard is that there's so many different ways to skin a cat when it comes to when it comes to that. And so, so maybe with our audience, um, what was one thing that really was successful for you? Was it your mind, um, you know, was it your, your mental game going into tra transitions where you had the five or 10 minutes between loops? Was it being out on the course? Was it, you know, looking forward to the evening loops? Was it, you know, letting yourself relax on, 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 the, on, the, on the climbs and, and, and really, you know, um, uh, pacing yourself when it came to the hills, walking the hills, when, when, when to run, when to when to when to kind of transition in in and out of a, of a walk run strategy on, on on the course like what was really useful for Katie I think knowing your pace and knowing what pace works for you is really important because that's what you're going to blow out if you go too quickly for you mm -hmm. um and that is fortunately something that seems to just come very naturally to me um I I don't really have to actually put thought into the fact that I'm going too quickly or too slowly I keep an eye on my watch and I know that I'm supposed to be at this tree by three minutes and if I'm a little bit fast or a little bit slow then I'll pick up the pace a little bit mm -hmm. um but I, I think I think the main thing really is the psychological element going into the race I spent a huge amount of time just making the concept of running 72 hours normal um and norm if you normalize the fact mm -hmm. that you're going to be going out for days then it becomes normal mm -hmm. um almost to the extent that I think at some stage last year I managed to convince myself that it was so it was going to be so easy to do 72 hours at, at some stage that I, I think I got to the stage where I wasn't that excited by it because I was like oh well you know, I can do it. I know I can do it in my head and therefore I'm not particularly excited about it anymore, um, which I need to rectify because that's definitely not the way to do things. You need that urge to want to do it. Um, so I'm working on that one now. Um, yeah, I, think, I guess the balance between indifference and 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 and, and desire, right? Mm -hmm. um, you you got to be hungry out there, but yet you also have to. What I've noticed amongst the world's best, you know, backyard and multi-day racers, where they're kind of like, meh, like I don't care, whatever. I'm just out here having a good time. They they don't make they don't make mountains out of molehills, but yet you can't be indifferent as well too. You have to be hungry enough. So yeah, that's a really good point, Katie. Yeah, it is a very different. Uh dynamic we've all realized that you know because it's it's that unknown as much as it is anything and then you're really running both against yourself and the unknown and keeping that belief we we all know that when we have uh let's say next month you sign up for a 50k and there's a 50 miler going on at the same time when you get to the 50k you know you're, you're done you, know, you would never want to run the 50 miler that day even if you could have because you had decided I'm doing a 50k today, right? And like at that, but if we had signed up for the 50 miler, we would go right through the 50k mark, right? Same physical ability, but by what we decide. But when you have this backyard thing, you mess that up because you're now like this 
which did I sign up for? <laughs> no, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. as we talk to more backyard people, it's about not trying to come to a number of loops that you have to do, right? It's just actually focusing on the success in each loop and don't put mm-hmm. that in your head about, you know, I got to make it to 50. Like, I think Laz says, you know, most people drop at a hundred miles mm-hmm. right? because they sort of hit this mythical piece of it and like, okay, like now everything hurts and I'm done. So, you know, so the question I always sort of have is, is what do we do to practice for that? You know, like what, what method could we use that sort of has that, you know, lack of end that still keeps us going? You have any ideas on what helps you be better at that? I think one of the things kind of looking at the training that I've done that has helped with that has actually been going out in the hills for long days and unexpectedly finding yourself out there until three o'clock in the morning or four o'clock in the morning. Um, I have done that on numerous occasions where we've um, bitten off a bit more than we can chew or um, yeah and you you end up being out maybe with slightly less nutrition or just for longer than you expected Mm. Um, and that's I suppose one of the only ways to practice that kind of feeling of oh we should be done by now but you're in the middle of nowhere there is only one way to get out and it is that self-reliance um you know yes I've got a PLB I'm not going to press my PLB because I've got um three more hours to go and um I don't want to run anymore um so putting it you know without causing danger to yourself um I think putting yourself in situations where you may end up being out for longer than you expected I have definitely learned to take extra nutrition wherever I go, if I'm going to a new place. Um, And if you're relying on someone else's idea of what a fast or slow time would be to get through a certain section, um, always have a head torch and a spare head torch. And um, yeah, uh, I think pushing yourself because you have to, because no one's coming to get you and you need to, you need to take care of yourself is uh, something we don't do often enough these days. There's too much safety netting or, you know, we'll only go out and push ourselves during races when we know there's a tail end Charlie to pick us up at the end. But if you go out on a make your own adventure, you've got to rely on yourself and, and have those skills to keep yourself safe. Yeah, Mm, absolutely. Yeah. So, so Katie, I mean, Three years ago, you said, "Hey, this ultra marathoning thing. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to dip my toe in that." And three years later, you've had incredible success at Big's Backyard, and now you've just won the Terraware 100 mile. I mean, in three years, in, in, sorry, in my experience, it takes a long time to develop an ultra marathoning base. You're 33 years old. Um, you have obviously you have a passion for this sport, um, and you have an incredible ability, um, you know, at, at, at succeeding in, in, in this really odd, strange sport, but three years in it, it takes you eight years, five to eight years to develop an ultra marathoning base. So maybe you're just finding your stride. I mean, what's, what's tomorrow for Katie Wright? I mean, what do you, what are you doing to chase tomorrow? What's next for you? Oh, listen, I just hope that I can keep the the love for the sport and the passion for the sport because that's that's why I'm here really. Um, 
immediately. Um, I think it's recovery and taking the time now that I don't have the pressure of a training schedule to go on do fun things that I wouldn't otherwise I finally went pack rafting yesterday um which is something I've been um on my to-do list for uh, 18 months or so um to go and explore other ways of moving and and getting out into the countryside um so I'm taking the time just to have a couple of weeks of you know sorting sorting life out keeping the joy of of being outside um and um and yeah refreshing I suppose um and then trying not to put too much into this year there are so many things that I am incredibly excited about going and doing um uh there's a new race called the wild that um a friend is uh putting on in new zealand it's going to be akin to hard rock in the us um and is at the moment a complete secret as to where the location is uh but this weekend coming i'm going to um, get the chance to go and fast pack the um the course which i'm hugely excited about it's going to be it's it's going to be through some of the most beautiful scenery in South Island of New Zealand. Um, so hopefully that's going to kickstart me back into into training for the Revenant or a track event or Big's backyard. Um, and eventually, if uh, Laz um, gives me the gives me the go ahead, then um, hopefully Barclay will be um, on the cards in the future. Uh, wow. need to wait for the uh we need to wait for the nod from the big guy uh, mm. the cool thing is we're gonna have um, a lot to look forward to and uh you know you have two big fans here in uh me and dave and we're going to be rooting for you and hopefully see you out there on one of these courses one day and i'm i'm sure we're going to have to get you back on the show to hear about the next sort of iteration of this uh emerging uh pretty fun path that you're on so wish you the best congratulations on the win enjoy this rest time and uh we'll see you again soon thanks katie thanks very much great to meet you and uh really great to catch up dave um, as always absolutely thanks katie thanks okay dave you did run with a lot of great runners when you were at bigs and and I just find listening into Katie that her progression just seems to be so amazing. Three years in and she does 50 loops at Biggs and now she wins a 100 miler in a race to the end. Oof, she's one tough person. And I love her attitude and how she thinks about ultra running. She said something like, I like being able to find my limits and having the confidence to keep going and going and going. Words to live by for sure. Well, there you have it. That's a wrap for this week. As always, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You can find them on www.performancetea.com. And they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. We would greatly appreciate it if you could follow us on Instagram and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. That would just be awesome. And as always, a huge thanks to our listeners for coming along with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.